Hi, and welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Executive Chef Oliver Hughes at Henrietta. Henrietta is the shiny new kid on the block in Windsor. And when I say shiny, it really is. <laughs> the fit out is all glorious, rich blues and sparkling silver accents. Owners Ibi Mubada and George Farah opened their first Middle Eastern charcoal chicken restaurant and takeaway in Surrey Hills in 2020. And now Melbourne gets to share the goodness. The chickens butterflied and brined overnight, then rubbed in spices and cooked over charcoal so that it's super juicy. It's then served with pita bread, pickled vegetables, harissa and tum, so you can put together your own delicious wrap. I was invited to lunch today at Henrietta and I had the best time. Of course I was keen to chat to Ollie, but I thought that might happen another day. As luck would have it, he was free while I was there. Good timing, given he's returning to Sydney tomorrow. Ollie moved to Australia from the northwest of England in 2017 and he's been in kitchens since he was 15 years old. He loves the pace of the kitchen and thrives under pressure, while at the same time being a big advocate for a positive mindset and having fun in the kitchen. Um, because I was a little bit unprepared for the chat, uh, we sort of, look, it just starts, it starts halfway through, <laughs> well it doesn't start halfway through, but it does start um, a little bit halfway through a sentence. <laughs> so bear with me, you'll feel like you're actually there. <laughs> Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. so that's what I wondered because yeah. um, you are based in Sydney and that's where you first came when yeah. you came to Australia. And yeah. um, So you're going to move to Melbourne? No. no. I'm gonna, yeah, so once I'm done here, well, when I say done, like when I, when the kitchen's at a point, you know, when I kind of don't need to be here, I go back to Sydney and yeah. then we're opening up another Henrietta in Parramatta. Okay. Uh, first week in November. Yeah. So whole process over again. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And um, so I'm now not really starting from the beginning here, but I was really interested because I saw that you're really interested in Asian food. Yeah. But yeah. now you're cooking Levantine, <laughs> Levantine Middle Eastern. Yeah, yeah. Um, how's that? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you'd asked me two years ago if I thought I'd be cooking Middle Eastern Lebanese food, I would have said no chance. Yeah. Uh, so... Obviously, Esca, the company, we have, I think, eight or nine restaurants. Yeah. Uh, three cafes at the time. Okay. Which I was running. Uh, and then COVID and stuff happened. Cafes, kind of harder to make money, so they transitioned to restaurants. Ibi and George approached me and said, hey, uh, I know you haven't done it before, but how do you fancy taking the lead at Henrietta? Just thought, why not? Yeah. Uh, a few late nights watching YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, stuff like that, kind of, yeah. you know, just came in at Henrietta, Surrey Hills, took maybe six months, you know, just kind of just getting in there, seeing how things are. Uh, obviously, we've got some great chefs in the company already, Paul Farrow, who's possibly one of the best chefs in the country at the moment with Middle Eastern food. Wow. So having people, and then there's Luca and Nor, but you know, having those guys to kind of work with, see what they're doing, kind of helped me out a lot. Mm. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, like like I say, modern day things. I've a lot of videos on YouTube of of uh, little old ladies in Lebanon making stuff the traditional way. So I just kind of found my feet that way. And is it are the flavors flavors that you've been drawn to in the past? I mean, in terms of eating. <laughs> nah, so where I'm from in England, outside of Manchester, mm. there's not much in the terms of Middle Eastern food. Yeah, right. Uh, when I came over to Sydney it was the first time like not trying Middle Eastern food but the first time kind of like trying Lebanese style food was uh, the restaurant we've got now. Uh, so in terms of flavours it's, it's stuff that I've like I've been involved with but not directly so you, you kind of like subconsciously familiarise yourself with it mm. through the restaurants that are also in the group so it's kind of had a head, had a head start that way. And yeah. in terms of um being executive chef, yeah. that's that's a big title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and how different is that? So you you've been head chef before. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I came I came into the company just as a chef. So I came for a head chef position. Yeah. But it had already been taken. Okay. Uh, but I really liked the company and the chat that I had with Ibi, so I agreed to come in uh, as a chef. Yeah. Uh, the head chef at the time. It was his first head chef position and he couldn't handle the pressure, so okay. I think it was a transition transition of about four weeks before I became the head chef. Had you been head chef before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but only, so I only started doing cafes when I came to Australia, so I originally, I came to Melbourne, I was here for maybe a year, mm. and then it got to winter and I was like, I've come from the north of England. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> you don't need I, this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be de-icing my car anymore, so yeah, so I, I yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I made the, made the move to Sydney. Don't live in Melbourne for the weather, but yeah. there's lots of other things yeah. no, that I understand. So you yeah. went to Sydney, okay. And then, um, and, and it's interesting, has, is there a cafe culture in England now? I'm just thinking no. it's such a big thing here no, and in New no, Zealand. No, no, I was, I was surprised. So I went back for the first time in seven years last year. Yeah. And even going to Manchester and stuff, the cafes don't open till eight o'clock in the morning. Mm. And it's still kind of like your full English breakfast. Or like if you're, spoon kind of yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, if you're really lucky, you might get an eggs benedict or something, but there's really not much of a cafe culture in England. Because I, I remember being over there and, um, and I think there was a, a New Zealand run cafe, Flat White or something in, yeah. in, in London, and it was that was good coffee. And it's the same in New York. You kind of have to go to Australian or New yeah. Zealand cafes yeah. to get yeah. actual, like what, what we yeah. think of as yeah. good coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So now that step then up from head chef to executive chef, yeah. like how does that, is that a mental shift? Uh, I mean, you're obviously still on the pan, so. I mean, it's, it was, it was kind of a natural transition to me. So I kind of, it was lucky because we had Cuckoo Calais, Surrey Hills, Cuckoo Calais, Newtown. Newtown kind of ran itself and then the head chef there left. So it was just kind of like, I'd just do the same thing I was doing in Surrey Hills in Newtown. And then I started to put my staff in there. Uh, what I kind of didn't realize at first was the amount of paperwork and back of house stuff that came with it. So obviously, you know the role of an executive is kind of any single chef role you just put all those together so like I still need to be in the kitchen just to to make sure things are you know because obviously if if it's not me it's not my standards Mm. like you have your head chefs but they have a different standard to what you might have or if something goes wrong it's kind of it's on me Uh, so at the moment obviously with opening a place it's kind of different so it's kind of a bit more hands-on full-on get the kitchen set up ready uh, 
but once once I leave from here, I'll be kind of be overseeing three places. So that'll probably look more like paperwork, a couple of days a week, making sure wages are right, you know, rosters, cogs, stuff like that, and then spending a day in each place, just kind of keeping an eye on things. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still, you know, um, I think it's really wise for chefs to have that other, you know, to move toward to a position where they're not on their feet all the day and doing all that, but but. There's still that love of cooking. Oh, still, yeah. So you'd still want to yeah. be doing all that yeah. as well. And I, yeah. I, I think I enjoy it more now because because I'm not, you know, when something becomes routine and you're in the same place and you're doing the, the same thing over and over and over, you, you know, naturally you start to get a little bit a little bit bored of it. But with this role, you know, after two days in the office staring at a computer, I am I am more than ready to jump back in the kitchen and and be on the pans, be on the pass, the charcoal, anything. So it's kind of like it's almost helped, you know, my passion for cooking a little bit more, not being in the kitchen five days a week. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. What is it about cooking that you love? Uh, I think all chefs secretly love the pressure. <laughs> I think I think it's something that a lot of chefs complain about, but if you, if you don't have that pressure in your life, it's, you know, it's kind of a bit boring. Yeah. So you kind of, you kind of feed off, you know, if, if you look in the kitchen, if you've had a quiet night, you'll see all the chefs are kind of low energy, no one can be bothered to do anything. If you've been absolutely slammed that night, everyone's at the end, smiles on the faces, drinks, let's go out. It's, I think really chefs love the pressure. And is that also about maybe having a sense of achievement and, and, um, and satisfaction? Like you've, that's a huge challenge to be really slammed and it's all busy, and, but you made it happen and yeah. you fed people and people yeah. were happy. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, and then it really builds like a team morale, you know. You've had a busy night, everyone's worked together, and you, you kind of come out at the other end and you kind of, you realise how much you've learned from that busy night, and then, like I say, it's, it almost becomes like an addiction of, of having those busy nights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a real fulfilling job if you enjoy it. Like, you've got your social aspect, you know, you're feeding people, and when you have a, when, like, when you see a full restaurant of people smiling, you know, because they've enjoyed the food you've cooked. Mm. Again, it's, it's you know, it's a, a bit of a rush that you you find hard to, to fill yeah. in other places. Yeah. Um, I've just finished watching the second season of The Bear about yeah. um, chef. I guess a chef in Chicago. Do you know that TV I, show? It's, it's on my list to watch. It's amazing. Mm. And apparently, the actor did do cooking classes, so he's he's got real burns and cuts and things. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it really shows that pressure and that pressured situation and how um, I guess it, um, if anyone's not quite right in their head, it can become very fractured. Yeah. But I guess um, as a leader, you would have to make sure that your whole team was on board with the, um, the upness of yeah. that experience. Like yeah. you're saying it's a great experience to be really slammed. Do yeah. you have to be aware of everyone else in the kitchen you, as well? You do, and I, I really try, like if there's one thing that... I feel I'm good at is, is bringing a positive energy to the kitchen. I think it's very easy for some chefs to get caught up with, with the negative. And at the end of the day, like if, if someone's coming to work for you and they're coming in that kitchen 10, 12 hours a day and they're giving their everything, but they do something wrong, you can't be mad at that person. Like it's, you know, it really, it really hurts morale in the kitchen. So like I, I, I think me having a positive mindset and me not being phased or you know getting really angry by stuff, it then it, it passes down. You know, if, if I feel if people come become scared to make a mistake, 
then they perhaps won't won't try as hard because they're scared of that mistake. You know, we all we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. It happens. Uh, but I think a positive mindset and like you know really having fun in the kitchen helps a lot. Yeah. Really helps. Yeah. yeah. No, that's um, sounds <laughs> um, sounds right. Yeah. Um, and where did it all start for you? I read in your bio that you started at fifteen. So. I, yeah. So I. I was raised by a single mother who was working as a nurse, working night shifts, so I took on the role of occasionally cooking food for me, my mum and my sister at probably 12, 13. Wow. It just used to be kind of like a jar curry sauce, cooking the chicken, putting the sauce in and cooking rice. And then that kind of, you know, led my mind to think, oh, what if I put this in? What if I put that in? And then I just kind of fell in love with with cooking from that point. Uh, I thought I was going to play rugby professionally early on uh, and then had a bad accident with my, with my leg. So I broke my leg, dislocated my ankle and shattered my knee in the same goal. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So that was early on, that was probably about 15, 16, but I was already working in pubs at yep. that time, kind of to make some money. Uh, washing dishes, waiting tables, helping out in the kitchen. So after I recovered from my injury, <laughs> Kind of the only thing I had left was working in the pub. And then I just kind of naturally transitioned into the kitchen. It seemed to be the place where I was like the most comfortable. And I just kind of worked, worked up my way up from there. Did you have any, um, any mentors or, or chefs that stand out? No, I'm kind of, I kind of taught myself. Wow, okay. Pretty much. So I worked, I worked in, a, in a tapas restaurant in England. But that was kind of the owner. He was a great guy, but he was—he wanted to be sit, sit at the bar and kind of drink. So I just kind of watched what people did and learn and figure it out myself. Uh, I spent a few few years of figuring stuff out myself, and then I went to work in another pub where I was just kind of like a chef there for a few years. The head chef didn't really want to teach anyone anything. Uh, head chef and the owner fell out. Head chef left, and then it was like, can you just? do it until we find someone else and I was like okay and uh, yeah so, kind of and, at, and at that stage were you I mean you taught yourself and you watched and you learned mm. were you also then looking at YouTube and, and um, social media or whatever or books or I what? was I, yeah a lot, a lot of a lot of cookbooks yeah. a lot of videos a lot of cooking programs a lot of you know just again just kind of like subconscious learning almost mm. you know it's yeah like it's, to be honest it's kind of a regret of mine not going and working for somebody you know underneath someone and getting like the real training so one thing if I could go back with my career is something I'd do mm. uh, but it's never held me back which is good well you've obviously got a curiosity as yeah. well and you yeah. want to do you know best that you can and really find out about the food you're cooking and so yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Um, was a culture shock coming to, apart from the cold here, but was it a, <laughs> coming to Australia? Uh, I think the good thing about being a chef is, is like no matter where you go in the world, it's always like quite a multicultural place to be. Mm. Uh, so I guess it wasn't a culture shock. I mean, the heat was a shock. Coming to Sydney in summer, working in a kitchen when it's like 35 degrees and humid that was that was a shock but culture shock wise I, not really the yeah. cafes were kind of hard to adjust to with the early mornings yeah uh, but like kitchens no matter where you are in the world kind of the same which yeah. is good yeah yeah it is good yeah and um so it sounds like you've had lots of different experiences yeah. and um 
and across these two countries anyway, um, what would your advice be to someone who was thinking about becoming a chef? Only do it if you really love it. Otherwise you'll end up hating it. Mm. I, th- I think there's, there's two kind of chefs and some chefs hate their job. The people that you know where you see the memes of like a chef comes to work, cooks all this fancy food and then goes home and eats beans on toast. Mm. I, I still love cooking at home. What do you cook at home? I, I cook all kinds of things at home. It depends who I'm cooking for. If I cook for myself, I, I try to eat healthy. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think my advice for anyone is you have to be 100% about being a chef because it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Like it's, it's something that will take your whole life away. You're gonna, It's going to affect your friends, your family. You're not going to see people that much. Yeah. So you have to love it or you'll end up, you'll end up hating it. Yeah. 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 Can you still be surprised by food, by flavours or by dishes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially transitioning into, you know, Middle Eastern Lebanese food was trying to think of, for instance, uh, kibenaya, which is a Lebanese lamb tartare. Mm. So, again, watching YouTube videos, you see you see little old ladies with a, like a big rolling pin and they're just slamming the meat. So you make it to kind of like, oh, it looks like bubblegum, like a paste. And I was like, wow, oh, this, you know, it was something that if you're not familiar with it, you're kind of like, oh, is that going to be nice? <laughs> Mix it with spices and I tried it and I was like, this is... This is really good. It's like one of the best things I think I'd made flavor-wise. And yours has 13 different herbs in it, is that right? It's got, so it's a, it's a, it's a huge spice mixture. Yeah. So it's called, it's called Kamune, they call it in Lebanon. A lot of different spices. Uh, Yeah, but it's, yeah, it was something that I was amazed by with the flavor and the texture of blending raw meat into a paste. And yeah. 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 Right. Something that was unusual, but it was very surprising how. And the charcoal chicken is so delicious. So you obviously marinate that, do you? And then yeah. butterfly it. Yeah. So so we, we buy them in. We buy them in uh, kind of like Portuguese cod, but they take the spine out, yeah. flatten them out, and then we brine it overnight. Yeah. Yeah. So brining it obviously lowers the cooking time, breaks down some of the protein, so it's you know it really retains all the moisture. We stick a load of herbs and spices in there, which kind of like the, f- the flavor really penetrates through the meat. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, then we kind of, we put it on the on the sticks, okay. let that hang for 12 hours to almost air dry in the cool room, and then cook it over a couple of different charcoals. Yeah, it was yeah. so um, succulent and yeah. tasty, and it yeah. was just such a great combination with the pickled veggies and yeah. the tum yeah. and the harissa. Yeah. It was yeah. really delicious. Yeah, it's taken, it's taken a lot of work a lot of different brines, a lot of trial and error to really get that chicken. Yeah, right. To where it is. Yeah. 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 Well, I spoke to um, a chef a couple of months ago who's at a place in Richmond called Way Good. His name is Brad Cunningham, and um, and he worked for Ot- uh, Yotam Ottolenghi in, um, in, in yeah. London. Yeah. And um, and so he's doing sort of Middle Eastern style flavors as well. But he actually mentioned Henrietta as oh, yeah. opening, and he said, oh, "No, nice. like it's yeah. And I was like, "Oh!" When he said that, I was like, "Right, I've got to keep my yeah. ears out." So yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. great to have been able to eat here today, yeah, and um, good. and so lovely to talk to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, same to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Ollie Hughes at Henrietta. You can check out all the goodness on Instagram at henrietta.chicken. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at conversationwithachef. 
you can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com. I would absolutely love it if you told a friend about my chats and of course you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day.